Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Today, all over the church is Doubting Thomas Sunday. It is the same gospel text in the lectionary every single Sunday after Easter, every single year. I checked this morning. Year A, year B, year C, it is always Doubting Thomas. Why do we devote a whole week out of every 52 to Thomas and his doubts? 
You know the answer. We all have our seasons of doubt. We may have doubts about the central content of the faith, which is indeed the resurrection, I am here to tell you. That is the news, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it's not an easy thing to believe. But it's not just the resurrection that gets us. And this year, I want to talk about the other things that get us, that might feel more immediate to you today. Things like God's interest in the specifics. Things like God's love for you, specifically. Things like the vindication of the just. It is easy for me, maybe not for everyone, to believe that Christ's death atones for sin in the general. But many, many times I have doubted that it atones for mine, not because I'm an evil supervillain, but because I need the gospel to permeate my soul anew every single day. Maybe you are wondering if the Lord is your shepherd when he did not choose to keep something bad from happening to you. Maybe you are wondering if God provides for you when you can't make rent. Maybe you are wondering if the Lord is your refuge and strength when you can't get out of depression. Maybe the serpent is asking you, as he asked Eve in the garden, did God really say? Because you're asking if it's really meant for you. Maybe all of it is true, but it's not meant for me. What I want to suggest to you today is that there are two climaxes in God's story two high points. God's story, which is the story of reality, the story of all things, the story of time and eternity. These two points are the points when God reveals himself. Outside of these points are times of hiddenness, and that is where we are now. We are in a time of hiddenness when the revelation of God is veiled. It makes all of this harder. But it doesn't mean that God is absent, and it doesn't mean that we are unable to know or believe. It means that we both remember and await salvation. In fact, we say it every week at the table. I do think all of our texts today will speak to this, but first I want to say a quick technical word on revelation, what God reveals to us. Because if you have been a Christian for a long time, you may be thinking, we have the Bible, and that's all we should need. And it's true. The confessions say that the Bible contains everything we need to know to be saved. Now, modern... Reformed theology draws a distinction between revelation and the witness to the revelation. Here is the issue. 
The Bible doesn't exist for its own sake. It is not to be worshipped. It is not to be glorified. It is not the point. As many of you know, I was in Turkey last month, and I had a conversation with someone who told me that the reason Jesus came was to give us the New Testament. I had never heard this before. This is precisely the opposite of what happened. The reason the New Testament exists is because God appeared in flesh and people wrote down what happened. The Bible is crucial to our faith, to our practice, to our worship, because it is the inspired witness to the revelation of God, which is Jesus, God made flesh. The Bible is true because it tells us the truth about the way, the truth, and the life. It is a light to our path because it illumines the light of the world. It is living and active because it is constantly validated and invigorated in the lives of its readers by the living God. I am not saying that it's not unique. It is. The canon of scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what is God's word in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the revelation. We might even draw a distinction between every individual piece of scripture and all that it could mean and all that it could teach us or not teach us and its place in God's story with the world. We might learn interesting things in Exodus about Near Eastern law, or Egyptian gods, or post-exilic culture. But God's word in Exodus, the revelation in Exodus, is part of the story of what happened last week. It is part of the story of the salvation of the world in one name under heaven, whereby we must be saved. That is the point. All the other stuff is academic. That's why in our Acts reading, Peter brings his listeners through their history. He says the scriptures predicted the events that are happening among us today. He says, God promised David a resurrected holy one and a descendant who would sit on his throne. You saw deeds of power, signs that God did through Jesus. But did you notice what happened? They did not believe. We see the natural, the Grand Canyon, or the brain, or pregnancy, or quantum mechanics, or whatever it is you find most amazing, it will not force you to believe. Even the supernatural will not guarantee that anyone will believe. Miracles will not force anyone to believe. Somehow, in both the Bible and creation, in prophecy and in miracles, there is still an element of hiddenness. God's pivotal revelation, God's communication with the world, 
is himself. God did not reveal a book so that we could proliferate rules for ourselves and others, so that we could worry constantly that we aren't measuring up. Though it is exactly what we are prone to do because we want to hold something up and say, I have truth. No, God was born. Long ago, the letter to the Hebrews begins, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of his very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. We are not meant only to understand how to worship and serve God. We are meant to know God. And true knowledge of God always results in worship. In John, we have a different kind of witness from that in Acts, and a different kind of unbelief. Just before our passage picks up, Mary Magdalene has told a group of the disciples that she has seen the Lord, and though we are not told it in John, we learn in Luke that they did not believe her any more than Thomas believed them. These are people who did believe Jesus was the Messiah, but then he died, and now they are confused. And as you may remember, Mary did not recognize Jesus at first. She does not know him until he says her name. And here, if you pay close attention, the disciples rejoice when they see the Lord, but only after he has shown them his wounds. Then they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The children in children's worship right now are hearing the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus when the disciples don't recognize Jesus for hours until he has given thanks and broken bread. Thomas says the words out loud, I will not believe until I see, but none of them know him until he chooses to reveal himself. There's something about the resurrection body that is unrecognizable, and yet the same. It is him, really, in a new reality. He can be touched, he can eat, he's not a ghost or a spirit. He is a new kind of physical, what Paul will call the spiritual body. This is the moment the first moment of revelation, the first high point. As Peter says in the Acts reading, it was impossible for him to be held in death's power. Why? Because he is God. The resurrection vindicates Jesus' divinity. It doesn't create it, it doesn't make him God, but it makes it impossible to deny. Especially in the context of John's gospel, where he has already said, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it back up again. 
And so Thomas makes the climactic statement in this gospel, my Lord and my God. That's the result of seeing Jesus, really seeing him here at the end of this book. 21 chapters. I can't believe I had to check that. That's embarrassing. 21 chapters tell us explicitly, you can read them, that Jesus is indeed God. But here, finally, a disciple says it out loud. My God, the one I already knew before I met Jesus, it's you. This, Jesus' whole life and death and resurrection, summed up in this. This is the pivotal moment in time and eternity when God reveals himself and accomplishes the sacrifice for sin, and the destruction of death. But the world goes on. That's where we are now, and that is where First Peter is. Salvation has been revealed, but it is, in a way, hidden again. In fact, Peter says it is kept in heaven for you, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is a mystery. A perfect salvation is ready for you and cannot be destroyed. And yet, your faith is being tested. Tested always. But we should not see this as a weeder course. It is not organic chemistry for salvation. God is not laying traps to catch you. Peter gives the example of gold, tested to see whether it is real, or in another translation, approved and deemed worthy because it has been examined. And it says, the genuineness of your faith results in praise, glory, and honor after it has been examined and tested. But whose praise, glory, and honor is that? It's not for you. You're not getting praise and glory in the Bible. It's for God. Your faith is God's project. Another way of translating this bit of imagery is a refining fire, fire that burns away everything that is not genuine, everything that is not real, everything that is not true. So, back to the beginning. Is this meant for you? Is all this truth and all this good news and all the love of God meant for you? Yes. And doubting, sitting outside the grace while you know it's there, is painful. But are you being punished for doubting it? No. Lies are burning in the refining fire. Lies that cling so closely to you that you are getting burnt, too. Now, God sometimes punishes. We don't always get away with sin. But you can't burn. You are protected by the power of God. It says it right here. And what is true about you 
that you have a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that can't burn either, no matter how many times your faith is tested. Through trial and tribulation, God is cultivating the genuineness of your faith. And what he allows to happen to us is not always going to be easy to explain, because we live in a hiddenness time. What we do know is that the next time God is revealed, there will be no more hiddenness. Salvation is ready to be revealed in full forever, and God will live among us as he did before, this time forever. That is the point of this book. That is the point of the whole story of the world, God with us. And not only that, but secrets will be laid bare. Evil will be unmasked. Sheep will be shown to be wolves. Truth will be made known. When all things are revealed, who will you be? That is why we are walking through the refining fire. So walk the fire with Jesus. Let him make you ready for the outcome of your faith, salvation of your soul. Amen.